Lucia Brancato is an excellent event planner, and she's an English teacher. Her hobbies include creative writing and travel, and I am looking at the wrong document. So we're going to pull up a different <laughs> document. This has been quite the crazy day for me already. You're right. I got up at 4.30 in the morning. Oh my goodness, why? Well, because usually I get up at 5.30 and I'm just not adapting to daylight savings time just yet. Right. Taking advantage of that extra hour in the morning, yeah. basically. So, yeah. All righty, so we'll try again. Lucia Brancato is an excellent event planner and an English teacher. I've already posted one interview with her. She's a fascinating person. That one is about her life. In this one, we are going to discuss her top books. I think books can change your life, and books also bring people practically unlimited amounts of pleasure. Mm -hmm. So, hey, Lucia, how are you? <laughs> Good. Thank you for having me again. Hey, you know, it's amazing that we're doing this, I think, in November because, hey, we're in the rough part of the semester, like the slot, you just the, the grind, mm -hmm. basically. How are you feeling? I'm a little anxious, rushed, making sure we're going to get in everything we need to um, before Thanksgiving break. And then right when we get back, I mean, we have like two and a half weeks and then it's finals. So, you know, making sure that my kids have everything that they need before they go on their breaks. And they move on to the next class and yeah. everything like that. Right, right. So we're wrapping up the Crucible unit right now, which has been so incredible to teach, um, especially in today's world. Um, taught them all about McCarthyism, the Red Scare, which was you know, as an English teacher, and I, you know, preface that with, I'm an English teacher, not a historian. Right. Um, but it's been awesome to watch them progress in this unit. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. You know what, people, okay, I teach history classes. There was a Red Scare in the 20s mm -hmm. because of the whole Russian Revolution. Yep, we covered that one. Okay, because mm -hmm. they killed like 7 to 12 million people over in Russia, and then mm -hmm. people thought, oh, that's going to come here. Mm -hmm. And then there was another Red Scare in the 50s, mm -hmm. and that's because of Stalin, because Stalin was out there killing like, Somewhere between 20 and 60 million people. And the 50s was heavily with Joseph McCarthy as well. Right. Who, yeah. Like, right. Um, he, like, directly paired with that, that second Red Scare. I feel like he sort of is the overreaction to, to Stalin. Absolutely. If, if it's possible to overreact to yeah. Stalin. No, he, just the way that he handled it, the government handled it, absolutely terrible. So, and I tell my kids, I love all literature. I know that they probably don't. Um, but this is probably the most important text that they will read this year. Mm. It really is. Um, teaching them what an allegory is, teaching them the power of words, the power of writing. I mean, Arthur Miller. I love I, him. I think he's great. I do too. I mean, I haven't I, read I, The Crucible. This is so embarrassing. Need to. No, I've read you, Death of a Salesman like seven times. You need to read The Crucible. I could it have is, squeezed The Crucible in there once. It is. No, it is. I have copies in 2112. Okay. I mean, it is worth reading at any point in your life. Um, but knowing that he put his life, I mean, everything. His career. There, his career, his reputation. I mean, he was blacklisted. Yes. He knew firsthand what it was like. Um, and I think that the power that we see in his courage and confidence for standing up for what was right at yes. a time where everyone else was scared to do so. Yes. That's why I tell my kids this is the most important piece of literature you'll read this year. And I love Gatsby. Yes. I love um, A Raisin in the Sun. I love To Kill a Mockingbird. I love all of those things. To Mock a Killing Bird. To Mock, no. To is make, that what I said? No, I said that. Oh, okay. I want to write a satire called To Mock a Killing Bird. Oh, I love it. Anyway, um, keep going. But I tell them this is the most important piece of literature that you'll read. And okay. it's because of... It's because of that message. The courage question. Exactly. And if I can instill anything in my kids, I want to instill confidence in them. Well, yeah, I, I'm trying to figure out how do you instill courage and heroism first and foremost in myself, mm -hmm. but then also in other people. I'm really looking at this because I, I think a question I want to ask with literature is, I guess I grew up, you know, you, you read about heroes and you hear about people doing the brave things. And then later I've read that of all the virtues, courage is always the most attractive. Mm -hmm. You know, you can watch a movie that has a villain in it, and if the villain is the main character, people will not be able to take their eyes off of that person if they display courage all the way mm -hmm. through. You might be disgusted mm -hmm. because they're the villain. Um, on the flip side, if you've got the hero who portrays courage, you still can't take your eyes off of right. that person. You could have a victim in a story but if the victim does not display courage, maybe that's life, maybe that's understandable, mm -hmm. but it's not attractive. It right. doesn't draw people in right. in the same way that courage. Courage is, is the ultimate value, maybe, in yeah. literature. Yeah, I agree 100%. And we see that um, Arthur Miller, he displays that through his characters. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's such a tangible 
something that they can relate to. It really is. I mean, and I try to tell them all the time. I mean, are, are you are you saying that because of all the rampant censorship that we're seeing today? A little bit, yeah. Okay. Um, but I tell them, I mean, Arthur Miller didn't just make up the Salem witch trials. He didn't just say like, oh, like what if I said that this happened in history? No, it did happen in history. And he pulled from a time when hysteria took over a community. Yes. And when terrible things were happening to innocent people. Okay. Yes. So he took that and he directly related it to, you know, of course, the allegory, the hidden message to the, the second Red Scare and McCarthyism. Yes. Um, and I, I, what he does with his characters of standing up to the mob, to standing up to the government, to standing up to the officials, to the elected officials, because... Even though in the story, I don't want to ruin the interview, No, 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 you, can ru- you can't ruin a story for me because, well, I guess you could ruin a few, but not one like this because I had a friend. She taught literature at UMKC. Mm-hmm. Her name was Christy Fleckenstein. She was amazing. Well, she always wanted to know the ending before she would read a book or see a movie. <laughs> and then people would say, you're going to wreck it. And she would say, no. And then oftentimes I would tell her the ending because she would make me. And then she would say, oh, I have to see that now, or I have to read that now. I mean, right. it made her more excited. Right. So, yeah, you can blow... Okay, so spoiler alert for the audience if you haven't read or experienced The Crucible. Lucia's about to blow the ending yes, for me. Yes, I am. So please turn it off if you don't want to listen. Um, but what he does with the main character, John Proctor. Um, John Proctor stands up for what is right. Um, he holds dignity in himself. Um, he continues to hold on to truth. And because of that, he is killed. At the end of okay. Um, he's an innocent. He's man martyred for his cause, mm-hmm. right? I guess like right. Socrates or Jesus right. or yeah. Gandhi mm-hmm. or Martin was, Luther King, Abraham right. Lincoln. Yeah, and he was a character that Miller first started the play as, presenting him as a sinner. Okay. Um, and it was Acts one and two dealing with you know his sins. Um, wasn't a really likable character, honestly. Okay. And then he just transforms, and his evolution mm. is incredible. Um, okay. And watching watching who he becomes as a character um and then to know okay. that he if he would have actually gone back to those um first traits of being a sinner he would have saved his own life okay but because he evolved and because he went against the grain mm. he ends up dying for it well you, you might as well just help me get right into this yeah. I, i've been thinking about this for quite some time i ran across this video series on youtube called the academy of ideas and they've got 29 videos that are kind of deeply thought out on liberty and freedom. Mm-hmm. Then they've got 12 on Nietzsche. Then they've got 12 on Carl Jung, the psychologist, and a bunch of other philosophers, etc. Lately, they've sort of been on a tear on, you know, what are the effects of social media on society, etc. Well, in one of these videos where they, they tap the greatest thinkers like your Plato's and Aristotle's, they ask the question, is it better to have a meaningful life or a safe life? Because a person could live to be 95 just simply by ducking out of everything. Right. You know, anytime, hey, there's a tough situation, I run in the opposite direction. You know, fight or flight, I'm really good at flight. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Is it better to have a meaningful life or a safe life? And and I don't think that that's a false dichotomy. Right. Necessarily. Right. I would say a meaningful life. I mean, that could be a short life. Yeah. Look at Jesus, 33 years old. And then look at all the lives that he's touched beyond that. Yes. Right. Um, My favorite story is about family members. Okay. Um, The courage that my great-grandfather, you know, had. Uh, I mean, he died pretty young. Granted, he didn't die because of one of the the, um, instances that took place where he displayed courage, but he still... You know, chose a meaningful life. Mm. Okay, um, well, what's the story? How did your grandfather he, choose a meaningful life? Uh, he, just from stories, um, he was a little fireball. Okay. They called him Joe Brown. Okay. Um, he. So genetically, you're nothing like him. Right. <laughs> I'm kidding. Know, no, I'm kidding. You're actually where, a big fireball. I think of you as a big fireball. I know, that's where I, I'm, I get it from. Um, so his childhood story is very sad. Um, it's actually, when I write my first book, it's going to okay. be all about Joe Brown. Okay. Um, he's worth honoring. So his father, so that would be my great-great-grandfather, um, had to escape to America because of the mafia in Italy. Um, it was a terrible, terrible story. Um, I won't let too many details out, just in case if anyone wants to read my future book. Okay. Um, so he comes here, 
um, tries to build a life for himself. He has my great-grandfather, Joe Brown. Okay. Um, and sadly, Joe Brown's father, the one who had escaped to America, mm, Okay. he dies relatively young. So then Joe Brown is like six or seven, and he just has to become a man at a very, very young age. Okay. From, like the time that he was a young boy. I mean, he... The stories of him as a fireball. I mean, it was just like shown throughout his childhood and then it carried into his adulthood. You can tell one childhood story, can't you? So, yeah. So, um, very sad. So his mom um, was about to lose custody of the kids and I think there were four of them. Um, And Joe Brown was out and he was, I think, like six or seven and trying to um, just make money for his mom to help her out. Okay. So he's selling, I want to say newspapers or um something of that sort and this this guy comes up to him and joe brown you know tries to get this older man you know buy something from him and i think the the older man said something hurtful to him well joe brown you know the little six-year-old tries to attack the older okay fists are drawn you know like trying to punch him and all the guy does is just put out his hand and put on his head and like joe brown's just like trying oh my gosh He's and got his his palm of his hand yes, on like just like on Joe's on like forehead. Yes, exactly. Okay, and this kid's arms and legs are going right. and going. Right, like you're not going to say that to me, you know, like. Just but he but he weighs himself. seventy pounds, so no, he's exactly. not going anywhere. Okay, exactly. And I think this guy he's got a huge kick out of him, and he ended up um, taking him to a store because Joe they were so poor. He had just like raggedy raggedy clothes, shoes with holes in them. Oh, you know, just like okay. really bad. Um, it was just very obvious that he was not, you know in good okay. you know, living conditions. Yeah, he, he's, clothes, he's right? a poor kid. Yeah, and um, this older man just loved that he was like such a fireball. So he takes him to this place, get, grabs him new clothes, new shoes, a new hat. Joe Brown goes home to his mom, and his mom is just like, who'd you steal this from? Like, you know. Right, goes off him, on him. Yeah, makes him, you know, take off all the clothes, doesn't believe the story. Um, but that's like one of my favorite stories. And when my grandfather tells it, it just he does such a great job. I'm probably butchering it. Yeah, but. there's probably extra details oh, and things absolutely. like that. But um, that's a pretty doggone good story. Yeah, and it just like it just shows from a very young age that's just who he was. Um, yeah, he lost the love of his life because of it actually. Because um, of because of that fireball, just personality oh. very stubborn. Okay. Um, like sometimes yeah. it goes in the opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So. Are you familiar with Thomas Merton? No. Okay, Thomas Merton is a well, he's a world class author for one thing, mm-hmm. but he's also a Trappist monk, and so I mean he wrote books that were international bestsellers. Um, but he had one called Thoughts in Solitude, which I think I've read seven or eight times, and the chapters are all very short and simple, like three pages long. But I would find myself just sitting outside and thinking about them for about a half an hour or so. And he had this line in there that your temperament does not predispose you to heaven or hell or success or failure. It's what you do with that temperament. Yes. And are you the master of your temperament or are you the slave to your temperament? And I've thought about that a lot because I think, oh, I'm very patient and agreeable. Like if you do the big five personality test, which I just did like in the last day or so, oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I come up highly agreeable. Like I want to get along with people and I want to make people comfortable and all of the rest of that. I'm probably like the complete. <laughs> well, you know, you've got, uh, yeah, I guess what's the opposite? I guess it's more aggressive uh-huh. and all of that. And gosh, I just, as I've gotten older, I've tried to become more aggressive. I've always been kind of aggressive with myself, like challenging myself, yeah. et cetera. Um, but yeah, you can definitely see where this is a problem because too agreeable and you're a doormat, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and too aggressive and you're a pit bull, right. you know, mm-hmm. you know, toward everybody, right. not just the people that, that need a pit bull. Right, absolutely. So, and when you act too quickly, yeah. you know, what can come up from that? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's the thing about personality. That's what I picked up from Murden was it's not that my temperament is so jacked up. And, like, people need to not look at themselves and say, oh, I'm completely messed up and I'm irredeemable and there's no hope for me. Really, it's just a matter of getting control of your own temperament. Right, and learning from it, learning from, you know, how did the situation come to be? Why did it come right. to this point? Like maybe a guy like me should be taking a mixed martial arts class or something <laughs> like that. I do like to lift weights and things yeah. like that, you know, so maybe the more agreeable person needs to do that. Mm-hmm. And maybe the more disagreeable, I don't know, needs to take up golf. Yeah, you know, that way you can take your, yeah, you can take your clubs and like throw them like across the river. Right. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah. That's where I need to be. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Literature. Um, you gave me a list of eight books that you said were highly impactful. And uh, I'll just read them off real quick. Uh, sea Biscuit and Unbroken, both by Lauren, Laura Hillebrand. Where the Crawdads Sing by Delilah Owens. The Great Gatsby by Fitzgerald. The Five People You Meet in Heaven by Mitch Album. The Storyteller by Jody Picoult, We Were the Lucky Ones by Georgia Hunter, and Leaving Time also by Jody Picoult. Um, so what, which one would you like to discuss first? Probably Seabiscuit. Okay, let's do that. Um, I saw the movie, and I also read the book. have not, have not. And I teach history. You, my problem is I, I read 35 books this summer. Oh, my goodness. But I didn't read Seabiscuit. You need to add it to your list. Okay. Um, Seabiscuit is actually the reason why I am a teacher. Mm. Um, I... So it wrecked your life. <laughs> no. Um, I was running events for the okay. Cornish company. Um, and I was just reading it for pleasure. Uh-huh. And I, there was, there's so much symbolism in it. There's so, there's so much to discuss in Seabiscuit, okay? I mean, it's a nonfiction story. It's about the horse. Correct. You know, it's during a, the Great it's Depression. It's a true story. And I did see the movie like three times. Yeah. I probably should have skipped the movie once and read the book. I know. Um, it's a true story. Um, but Laura Hillenbrand, the way that she tackles it is just beautiful. Okay. And so there was so much to uncover with the text. Mm. And I was an English major, right? So I'm like just thirsting for like right. someone to discuss this Okay, with me. well then what's to uncover? First give us, I guess, the bare bones of the story. Yeah. Maybe some of the characters, setting, and, and then tell me what is there in terms of yeah. so much to uncover. So Seabiscuit, um, this is the underdog horse. Right. Yes. Always the smallest was sold for like next to nothing, um, and I'm forgetting how he even came to be with the owner, how he even bought him. Um, basically, like this wasn't a horse that people were impressed by at first, right? Right. And then, I mean, he just turns, turns around, and his jockey Red Pollard, the struggles that he goes through. I mean, you don't ever think about the jockey, right? How, um, how close is the movie to the book? say it's relatively relatively close relatively close. okay because yeah. the jockey gosh gets basically sent away from his family in the yeah. midst of the depression because they were like it, we can't feed you yeah, and he does it like for his family yes um and when you think about that right like right. think about you have to leave your family to know that it's for the better of their situation that's right um but i mean the situation that he was then going into wasn't a great situation either see i know about that because i've got an uncle who is 96 and we are recording this in 2021 so he was born i guess in 25 and his wife i think was maybe two or three years younger so they knew all kinds of people who were kind of in that situation where oh i'm 16 I think I'll just hop on the railroad car and travel 2,000 miles mm-hmm. away from home because mom and dad have five kids, and yeah. it's the depression, and there's no food. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Red Pollard's story, but also the story um, of the owner and what he went through. I mean, he was this very, very wealthy, yes. wealthy man, yes. right? Um, who's broken because he's they... broken because he lost his son. yes. Um, and and yeah, he's. I think that wrecks his marriage too, doesn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, yes. Um, but then when you see the growth of what I think, like the relationship that he develops with Red Pollard, yes, you get this hint that it's like he was like yearning for it and striving for it, right? But it also paints that picture of again w- until you walk in someone's shoes you don't know what they're going no through. you don't because you look at the rich no, fat cat dude rich, yeah you look at their rich house the fact that he, i think that he was actually the inventor of um the automobile well a certain type yeah, of automobile type, yeah yeah because yeah we could and get into how, that but like not even henry ford died. invented the automobile right. that's how the kid died actually it was a car wreck yes um so then that guilt that the father right. had on him as well with that right because like something that he created right then took the life of something else that he created right so so right. his beautiful child, the right. automobile, right. destroys this even more beautiful human right. child. Right. Um, so when you unpack all of that, um, and then you like start to see the courage um, and the relationship. And I, I love horses. Um, grew up riding them. When I was ten, I got knocked off of one and then never went back. But um, oh, you need my to go dad, back literally made me get back on the horse. Okay. So when I got bumped off, he said, no, you need to get back on. I had to ride the horse back up to the... Does that cliche make sense to you now that you have to get back on the horse and ride again? You do. You really do. Um, And of course, you know, terrified. But 
then I never went back, but I've always had a very soft spot in my heart just for horses in general. I mean, they're beautiful, noble animals. Absolutely. Um, And so then I think that, you know, that's what like brought me in. Okay. Drew me into the book. Okay. Um, The the horse thing drew you in initially. Right. And then it was, I mean, everything else. But these powerful stories of like, hey, broken horse, broken jockey. Uh, broken, filthy, rich, fat cat. But when cat. they all come together, right. they all like become whole because the, they're together. The movie also has a, a broken trainer. You know, the horse mm-hmm. trainer. Oh, yes. Yes. Sorry, it's been years since I read it. Yes. His story. And the way that he handles Red Pollard and the way that Red Pollard handles him um, and his relationship that he has with Seabiscuit. Yes. I mean, it is, yeah, it's just beautiful. It yeah. really is. Yeah. And the way that like, for a while, I think some drama happened with Red Pollard. They tried to put a different jockey on Steven. Right. I think he had well. an injury yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. This is terrible that I haven't read the no, book. No, you need to read it. It's so good. Um, when you read it, tell me and I'll reread, I'll reread it with you alongside you. Um, so love, love, love Seabiscuit. I'm reading Seabiscuit, okay. wanting to discuss more. Um, and of course, my family, like, they're not about to just open up Seabiscuit and start reading it. I know. And like, I, sometimes your family's like, yeah, that's great, but bring Daddy another course. Yeah, no. Um, so so then I was like, I miss this. I miss being in the classroom. I miss diving into oh. literature. And that's what brought me back to education. Okay. Little did I know that is not what being a teacher of English No, is. no, no, no. <laughs> no, what being a teacher is, look, I taught English. I taught yeah. college English, and that's easier than teaching high school English. And it's easier for a wide variety of reasons. One reason is, is that the quality of writing is so much better, so it's a lot quicker and easier to get through. Uh Uh, The second thing is, is I taught at UMKC for 20 years, and they gave me incredible freedom as to what books I could choose and what essays I would assign. I think I was evaluated twice in 20 years. Shout out to UMKC. (laughs) So that was pretty fantastic. They let me teach 11 different kinds of courses. Whenever I would get bored teaching one class, they would maybe let me teach another, when they didn't for a huge stretch, then I was just teaching technical writing. I just kept turning the class upside down because I was like, well, if you're not going to give me a new class, I'm going to give myself a new class. Yeah, absolutely. So, Would I mean, there's you... so many so many things. But then the high school level, I think I taught for maybe a year on high school. And just the paper load is, it is. hideous. Yeah, it's, it is. It's like, hey, here's your phone directory, your old-fashioned 1980s right. phone directory. You know, it's a doorstop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's your weekend. Right, right. And... Don't be wrong. I'm not in education anymore because the initial reason why I was brought into it, right? Your um, your reasons changed. Absolutely. I now, guess that's natural. Yeah. Now it's all about the kids. Yes. Right. It's all about relationships. It's all about you know. Oh, that's interesting. Literature brought you in, mm-hmm. but relationships kept you. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, that's that's ideal. Yeah. Um. So, you know, not the reason why I'm probably staying in education, but um, lucky that it happened. Yeah. When it did. Yeah. Um, I guess that's that's the beauty of God, taking a situation mm-hmm. which was pretty good, yeah. but really bringing out the absolute best in it. Well, and the That's your sea biscuit for you yeah, all over again. No, it is. It's like, hey, everybody is just a little bit, I don't know if I want to use the word broken, you know? Mm-hmm. I just read Jewel's book, and it's called Never Broken, so now mm-hmm. I'm wondering, maybe human beings aren't broken. Maybe we're just, like, beaten up and bruised. Yeah. Um, well, and the reason, what initial, another initial reason was... Um, I wanted something deeper than the events that I was doing. It okay. was so surface level. Um, because you're an event planner. Yeah. Like right. people's weddings and things like that. Right. So what I'm doing now with wedding planning specifically is I'm working with these clients for a lot longer. So I actually develop really great relationships with oh, my cool. clients. Oh, um, cool. And so I, getting to know their families, um, being with them on their most important day up until that moment, right? Of course, after that, then it's the child. Um, but that wedding day for them, it, it's a huge milestone. And so now as a wedding planner, I see a different side of relationships. But okay. my initial job as an event coordinator for the Cordish company, um, that was, it was very surface level. It was very, um, let, I'm going to take care of the dinner portion of the night. Okay. I'm going to make sure that layout is set up. Is my client, does she look happy? Great. But there wasn't a deeper connection there. And so that's what also kind of... You've gone deeper in all of your relationships. Yes. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so, really awesome. Um, definitely was what I what I needed at the time. Um, okay. Lucky that it brought me here. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Well, so let's see how this deepness plays out. Let's well, pick one of these other books. Laura Hillenbrand also yeah. then wrote Unbroken. Right, which... Have you uh, read Unbroken? No. Oh, my gosh. But I saw need... the movie like okay, two or no. three times. Nope. 
not as good. Need, no, they cut out this the whole last part, which infuriates me. Okay. Um, truly infuriates okay. me. Okay. Um, but Louis Zamperini. Yeah. Who is he is he's the, the hero. Guy. He's the hero. I mean, he broken, right? doesn't he go to the Berlin Olympics in 1936 mm-hmm. with Jesse Owens, mm-hmm. and he's a runner and he's mm-hmm. super awesome. Then he winds up as a soldier in World War II yeah. in the Pacific Theater. Yeah. Then he gets shot down and they're in the water and I he really should so have like, been drowned or eaten by sharks yeah. or died he was of a attacked multiple times. Um, yeah. He was on the water for like 45 days. Right. I mean it terribly long time so um, and for his reward for all that they put him in a japanese yeah. internment camp where they starve him to death yeah and and beat him i mean def- defy him as a human i mean it was terrible so i mean you do deserve a reward after almost getting eaten by sharks so <laughs> fortunately he got his just kidding so, yeah right um so louis zamperini actually called laura hillenbrand oh and said I want you to write my story oh, wow. because of how you captured Seabiscuit. Wow. So the connection between the <laughs> two is beautiful. I yeah. Mean, he sought out Laura Hillenbrand to um, make that possible. I'm glad she took a bump on it. Me too. Me too. Because not a lot of writers, I think, could have captured his story the way that she did. Um, the fact that she was already kind of immersed in the 1930s. Exactly. I mean, I, I will grant that his story takes place, you know, also in the 40s, but still. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but, no, the movie, I have okay. so many comments on it. Well, I'm glad I saw the well, movie first because I liked it, which means I'll like the book you'll more. You'll love the book. Okay. The, which, if you don't care, I'll ruin this one for you, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. The whole last section of the book is Which him, is... Finding of Unbroken. Um, yes. Yeah. Louis Zamperini finding God. Oh. And okay. coming to terms with forgiveness. Um, okay. And actually going and forgiving his captor. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, he was an alcoholic before this, right? Okay. Because of the trauma that he went through. Right. Then came full circle, started to travel to speak on, speak about the message of God. Okay. And like how that transformed his life. Okay. Yet none of that was included in the movie. Okay. And I have a serious problem with that because it was a it was a huge part of his story. Okay, so the movie's about two hours long. I suppose they could have made it three hours long. Well, they could Dan- have added on something. Dances with Wolves was three hours yeah, long. they could have added on Lots something. Lots of movies. Gone right. with the Wind is like four hours no, long. exactly. And they chose um, to not include that, and that was... Bad. Yeah, I okay. mean, how do you not Because it's very the, powerful because... It is. I mean, how, someone who had the worst of the worst... Right. And you... This man was able to forgive his captor? He right. He went and saw him in person. Right. Right. And okay. And forgave him. Well, and the thing is, you, you kind of got to know about the captor, you know, just because you could probably elaborate more because you read the book and because yeah. I didn't. Apparently, I don't read any books. But... <laughs> but uh Okay, so this captor is, I think he's called the bird, mm-hmm. and uh, he's just a sadist. Yeah. He's an absolute sadist. It's one thing to run a Nazi-style camp where you torture people and use them as slave labor and just brutalize people, but this guy takes an incredible amount of sick pleasure in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of hard to describe what a sadist this character is. Right. And then I, okay, then there's something else that you mentioned that I, I just want to pause on. I think it's amazing that a guy is a winner in the Berlin Olympics, and then you'd also have to say, hey, he's a winner in World War II because, you know, he should have died multiple times, right. drowning, sharks, right. Japanese camp. But then he comes home, and he becomes an alcoholic due to the stress. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, but then he, he climbs out of that. Right. So I, I think it's really interesting Again. that somebody who is big success, and then I think arguably another big success, just surviving, mm-hmm. uh, it then falls into like this, This I guess the world's oldest cliche, mm-hmm. which is addict right. of some kind. Right. Can you talk both a little bit about the addiction thing and then how he climbed out of it? It was it was Jesus okay. got him out of it. I think that his wife had encouraged, and again, it's been a few years since I've read Unbroken, okay. but I want to say that there was a speaker traveling. Okay. Um town to town and I think that his wife had encouraged him to go to see this speaker okay um, and it was in that I think within it was obviously speaking on Christianity right um and he found Jesus and Jesus okay. is what pulled him out of it but again going back to that value of courage 
Okay. Right? Like that Louis Zamperini. Right. Within every single obstacle, he had courage. Um, even from a young boy. How did he get to the Olympics, right? Like looking at the courage of developing his, the running. Right. Um, to then everything else that he faced. It also goes back to the fact of our time is not our time. It's God's time. Right? Yes. If any other situation, you're like, how did he survive? Because God had the timing for Louis. Um, and he lived a long life. Yeah, he lived to be 95, yeah, 96. He lived a long life. He ran a marathon or something in Japan when he was about 80 years That's old. That's when he went and forgave. Okay. The bird. Oh, at the age of I'm pretty 80, sure. he I'm goes into sure forgive. That's when he went. I think that's when he went well, to forgive. And then how did that conversation go? So he goes back to Japan roughly 40 years later, yeah. maybe 50. And uh, I mean, they're both very old at this right. point. So how does that conversation go? Like, hi, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm one of the many right. hundreds of people right. that you and your sadistic horror right. Uh, brutalized. Right. I don't even know. I can. You start to think about like how does a person even get there right with forgiveness right and it's again it's all based in his faith right I guess what's the cliche is that but I think it's true these things are cliches for a reason that you know forgiveness is about me and it's not about the other guy mm-hmm. down the street I mean the other guy who absolutely I don't know shattered my windshield and stole my wallet or something like that I mean when I forgive him it's so that I don't walk around bitter right Right. I mean, it's hard to that. it's hard to get there sometimes, but Absolutely. but really, it's it's a very, I guess I'm just going to call it positive selfishness yeah. on my part because I don't want to be dragging around all of this right. resentment. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess from a logical standpoint, it makes sense to forgive, but right. but doesn't we're not logical. Easy. We're not no. we're not logical no. people. And doesn't make it easy. Right. Right. Does not make it easy. Right. But he was able to do it. Yes. I had heard somebody had told me that. The bird refused to meet with him. Probably. Okay. I know. I, I need to go back and reread it. Okay. I really do. Okay. But I would probably. Okay. <laughs> it's like, okay, so you're I'm here sure for the, the beat thought, down, but yeah, you're I'm not sure here the for the. thought something else was going to happen. Right. Right. It's like, uh, hey, guess what? I'm back. Ha ha. You right. know, now I'm going to go all Clint Eastwood on right, you. Right. His story. It truly is. It's incredible. Okay. I'm trying to add it into our curriculum. Here. Okay. I hope you can squeeze it in. I think we're on a really good path. Good. Mm-hmm. Good, 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 good. Yeah. Okay. Well, God bless you and best of luck in, in that regard. Okay. Well, let's pick another one. Um, what do you want to pick? Um, we can do Where the Crawdads Sing. Okay. Um, that one I don't know a blessed thing about. Okay. Except that it was on Amazon's top 100 list for, I don't know, like a year or two. Yeah. It just wouldn't go away. Well, this one's funny. Um, I hate the ending. Okay. I loved the book so much. Okay. And hated the ending. Okay. The whole message of the book okay. is to not um, judge others from where they come from, to not, you know, to not have prejudices against others, right? To look at humans for being human beings. And okay. She does a great job. The okay. whole book. Okay. Then at the then end, she the has end. a big list of all the people she doesn't no, like or something. The end is she has the character yeah. fall into every single stereotype what? that she was trying to fight against throughout the entire book. And I have a lot of issues with that. Okay, I okay. I mean, you well, want... Let's, let's back up. Let's yeah. do plot and character and setting okay. just to set the stage. Okay, again, it's been a while since I read this one. Okay. Um, long story short, it was... Um, they're called... What are they called? She lives... The main character lives in, like, the swamp. Okay. Okay, it's in... Um, Louisiana? I think. Okay. Probably. One of those swampy states. Yeah. Like um, Iowa, where I'm from. Just no. kidding. <laughs> um, and super poor family, right? Dad's abusive, alcoholic. Okay. Mom leaves when they're young kids, right? Okay. And then little by little, the kids grow up and each of them leave. And our oh. main character, she stays with the dad. And then okay. one day, the dad never comes home. So from a very young age, this girl is raising herself. Okay. Right? Um, Government gets involved, tried to get her to go to school, says it's a law, you have to go to school. She um, goes for a little bit, People, kids make fun of her, she comes back home, right? Okay. Like, raggedy clothes, no shoes, things like that. Okay. Um, and she ends up falling in love um, with this, this really, this nice boy, right? Um, and as their relationships develop, um, she, it's, it's seen that this, an, another rich boy in town, right? Um, 
starts to turn her eye, right? And, and okay. starts to flirt with her. And it's okay. in secret, right? Because she's known as, like, the swampy girl. Okay. Um, but she's dating guy number one. They just have, they're not dating, but they have this, like, connection. Friendship. Okay. Yeah, a really beautiful friendship. Okay. That you're like, I, as a reader, he wants me to be there, but it's not there yet, right? Okay, got it. Um, And, uh, you know, guy number two comes around, um, and they have this, like, more sexualized relationship, mm, right? Okay. Um, and then this guy dies. Guy number two? Mm-hmm. Okay. Guy number two just dies. Okay. And the whole book, we're, like, trying to figure out, like, who killed this guy, right? Oh, he was and, murdered? Mm-hmm. He was murdered. My suspect is guy number one. That's what I was thinking Or I'm time. thinking maybe one of her family members. Right. That's what I was thinking the whole time. And every person in the town pinned it on the swampy girl. Okay. Every person okay, knew that they so had, like, this, like, sexual relationship. Yeah. Right. And um, that he had tried to end it. Then she was it's mad, mad and killed him. Right. Okay. And again, the whole time you're you're thinking that it's guy number one or a family friend who looked after her, but it couldn't be her, right? She's okay. not what these people thought that she was. Okay. And then come to find out, spoiler alert, it's coming. What do you know? She was the one who killed him in the Why? End. Why did she kill him? It, well, apparently he had tried to rape her. Oh. And um she then like plots this whole murder okay. to get revenge on him. Okay. Later. Um and it just the way that the author set it up. I mean, I'm not talks, even sure this is believable to me no, entirely. Just because no. from what you've described. I mean, talk about like the contrast of Unbroken, right? Like Unbroken is you have the worst the worst happen to you and then he somehow is able to forgive, right? Yeah. And then you have, I would have way rather have seen Delia Owens had boy number one, uh-huh. you know, been this like, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to, you know, you know, hold your honor and your, right, you right, know, right. And, and I'm going to come to your saving grace or the family friend, you know, I'm going to make sure that this never happens to you again. But no, you had to put her in the box that the whole town had put her in her entire life. You confirmed everything that everyone was oh, saying that's, about her. That's interesting. Okay, so and you're it, saying thematically the book all the way through is saying don't put people in a box. Yes. Don't stereotype people. And then, then what at do the you end, know? she kills somebody, and which just takes your worst stereotypes times 50. Yes. Well, it's what everyone had always thought of her. Okay. And and they were right. Everybody was right. They were right. And I'm like, you had such an awesome opportunity to say, you know, you don't know someone's story. Do not believe what you hear. Right, right. Don't believe stereotypes. And... I mean, you ruined it. Okay. So I, it's it's shocking that I enjoyed the book so much because <laughs> yeah. I truly, truly hate the ending. Like, okay. With a passion. You read my mind. I have two questions, and my very first question is, why do you like this book that you hate so much? So her character development, her dialogue, um, the, the diction that she uses, it is awesome. Okay. She is she is a really great writer. A plus she, on storytelling props. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, and then that that um, that beats a lot of objections right there. Right. So I was so engaged as a reader. I really okay. was. And, and you're I rooting for this girl. And you're rooting for her. And I think that also speaks volumes to the way that a the author portrayed the character too, because it's like when I if I didn't care about the book, I wouldn't hate the ending so much. Right. Like, well, that's stinks, yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you you grew to like yeah, this character. Yeah, I grew to love her. Um, well, I and then this leads me to my second question. If this is okay. My second question is, is let's leave morals out of it and just look at it in terms of, you know, consistent character development. Uh, it doesn't follow. It and does psychology. Not follow. Like, okay, so you're saying this totally just dropped out of yes. the sky. It's kind of like if Gandhi, Gandhi, book, you know. Victim. Okay, be like if Gandhi said, you know, some people just deserve a good smack. Like, it's not in character. Right. It's not. It didn't follow the character development whatsoever. Okay. Um, How does the I author really, justify this? You know, I I was so angry. I still have never even read an interview or okay. seen anything. Well, I guess, no, I mean in the book where they were like, I don't know, a page or two where, hey, I forgot to mention earlier that, you know, whenever it's I was beaten at revealed. home, I always wanted to, like, strike back. It's revealed after the main character, she actually dies. Okay. And it's revealed in a letter that she leaves her boy number one. Okay, and what does she say? I'm dying it to know. It was me. She just says it was me. But she doesn't say why, and she doesn't say I've always had anger management no, problems. No, she doesn't, okay. No. It okay. was a terrible, terrible ending. Okay, so it's, itself, it sounds like she had a personality transplant. Yes. Okay. The book itself 
was awesome. It okay. really was. It was such okay. a great book. Um, hated the ending. <laughs> you know, maybe this is why people liked it so much or at least bought it so much because you just can't tear your eyes away from yeah, it. Because, the whole book. you know, you got this epic contradiction. I always felt like literature would pose these unanswerable questions. Like I'm thinking of uh, Young Gunman Brown, which is a short story by Hawthorne mm-hmm. where this guy goes out into the woods on an evil purpose. Okay, so he's like a Puritan, and he, you know, this is Puritan times, like the 1600s, and everybody's going to church and doing things like that. Well, he's going to go off in the forest on an evil purpose, and then he promises to never do it again. Like, while he's going in the forest, he's like, I'm never going to do this again. Well, then he gets out there, and he witnesses a satanic black mass at midnight. But not only that, everybody that he's ever met in his life is there. Oh, my goodness. His charming, pure, innocent bride, whose name is Faith, she's no, there. No. All of his teachers are there. His relatives are there. The town, you know, uh, noble people are there. The rich people are there. The poor people are there. Everybody's there. Oh, my goodness. Well, then he wakes up from a dream, and he's in the middle of the forest. And this is the very first story where somebody was having a dream, so it's not considered a cheat, you know, like, all these things happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a dream. Thank you for the reader cheat. Yeah. Because Hawthorne next asks, was it a dream or not? Mm-hmm. And so then young Gunman Brown comes home, and now he's cynical about everybody. He doesn't want to talk to his wife. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. He sort of becomes a hermit in the middle of town, won't talk to little kids, won't talk to old people, nothing. And the last sentence is, his dying hour was gloom. So then you discuss this in class and you ask people, you know, was it a dream, not a dream? And a lot of people want to say, listen, it was a dream. Young Gunman Brown is a crazy person and uh, human beings don't have that capacity for evil. I don't have that capacity for evil. I'm as pure as the driven snow. I don't even want to consider that maybe I've got this capacity for evil. You know, so that's some people. Then other people are like, hey, I read my Carl Jung And he's a psychologist, and he says, you've got a good side and you've got a shadow side. And the shadow side says that every person has got Stalin and Hitler in there somewhere. I mean, if one person is capable of total brutality, then many people are capable of total brutality. And you'd be a better saint with more noble behavior if you would at least be honest mm-hmm. about your shadow side, because then you could cope with it right. instead of going into denial about the whole thing. Right. And I feel like that's a very rich discussion to have. Yeah. You know, instead of asking people like how you could be better, hey, that's a good question. I guess we could ask that. You could also ask people, what's your dark side? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, um, and I guess just get into that, yeah. you know, and how do we address the dark side? Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, that's an unanswerable question are human beings inherently good are we inherently evil i mean it's answerable through religion depending upon what you believe with your religion or your philosophy or things like that right some psychologists say maybe one to four percent of the population is sociopathic you know but that we all have various traits right you know you know unless you're mother Teresa or gandhi right you know but I think even they may have gotten a little cross with people from time to time. Right. They were probably very aware of their shadow side, mm-hmm. and they were opposed to it, mm-hmm. as opposed to being in denial from Speaking it. Speaking of evil, I mean Astro World this past weekend. What's Astro World? No, I haven't. It? Is this something in the news? Yes. Um, it was, I mean, just terrible. It was a concert. Travis Scott okay. was performing. Okay. Um, I think the death count is oh, no. up to, it was 11 the other day. I think it's higher than that now. Well, um, was it a, a mass murder situation or no, something? it was, I, I still don't know okay. what was killing these people. Um, the people who were in there describe it as they were being suffocated. Oh, no. Like, trampled. There was, like, this pressure, this, like, push. People were dropping dead all around. The concert didn't stop. Um very demonic. It Jeez. Was, yeah, it's very alarming. But this just happened on okay. Saturday. Um, but but you don't know the full story no or anything. Knows. We just know the, the people outcome. Who were there describe okay. it as like demonic. Jeez. Like it was a terrible, terrible environment, and people were killed. Um, I still just can't believe that the concert just never stopped. But the lyrics that he was singing. Okay. I mean, very. It just Dark. disgusting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not not a good... So maybe that's what the Crawdad book, I don't know, points out is that 
gosh, there is a shadow side. There is evil. Mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. maybe people are drawn to it. You know, it's got this really charming title. Like, you're just going to think, oh, this is going to be know. like one of these harmless southern stories. Yeah. Because we have singing and we have woodland yep. or swamp Wasn't creatures. It? That was not it at all. <laughs> okay. I don't know. It'd be like calling a story like, you know, Bambi visits the flowers. Yeah. And right. then it's and then, then it's, it's all it, about Bambi getting shot. Right. It should be called um, Buckets of Blood or yeah, something like no, that. Seriously. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, there's that. Um, then you have a bunch of... Let's go in the opposite direction. Let's go okay. super positive. Okay. You mentioned the five people you meet in heaven. Yes. And I read a different book by Mitch Album. Okay. So, so I, I haven't read any of your books. Oh, well, I've read a few okay. of them. I've read a few. I read Gatsby nine times. I love Gatsby. Um, so I actually read the five people you meet in heaven okay. when I was in high school. Okay. Um, it was my senior year, and... Um, St. Pius changed their summer reading, which I actually loved what they did with their summer reading this okay. year, was where you got to pick a book from a list of books. And then when you came back the very first day of school, you had a book club. And I just happened to pick the, pick the five people you meet in heaven. And then in my book club, it was just a different you know, variety of people, one of which was like my principal at the time. Okay. Um, and we just discussed the book. And I remember reading that as a high schooler and loving it. I mean, it's so, so sad. Okay. There's like this, there's this image that Mitch Album presents um, that I don't think I'll ever get out of my head. Of okay. This man, after he dies, he's like looking back on the night that he died and he was like hanging out of a window trying to reach for his family and it just like, you know, goes to show you, you know, you can't waste those moments mm. that you have when you're physically with your family. Okay. Um, but it's... It's an awesome book. Yeah, okay, so so back up just a little bit, and then we'll we'll get to, I guess, and what again, that... And again, haven't read this book. I It's been 10 plus years. Okay, so okay. So can't give you lots of details. Can't give me lots of details, no. but just a little bit in terms of plot and character. What is it? Is it five separate mm-hmm. stories? Five that all, separate stories. They stand alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, like the one you were telling me about, I mean, just, I guess, give me the plot. Um, Just an older man... I think he just battled with a lot of demons inside. Okay. Um, didn't have a great relationship with his father, I think, or his son. Um, but he, I can't remember why he, honestly, it just is one of those scenes I'll never get out of my head. He passes away from old yes, age, but somehow he so. makes, he's up in heaven. Yes. Okay, and then he's up there. And, and he's like, he's like looking down on like his but situation. He's, but he has regret, mm-hmm. basically, because he wasted yeah. a lot of moments. Exactly. And it just, it calls your attention to all of that. Yeah. And, and Mitch Alvin just does a great job with that. Okay. Um, I think that's really powerful. Yeah. You know, just, okay, I mean, it's such a cliche, don't waste moments, right? Right, and, and the way he presents it. I, it's like, I know, but see, I don't worry about it being a cliche because, I don't know, Einstein said that he had two original ideas in his life. <laughs> that was Einstein. And so I like to tell people I've had two less than Einstein, mm-hmm. which is zero. Same. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I'm cool with people taking the same theme that's very powerful mm-hmm. and just really underlining it for people. Yeah. Me too. I, I think, gosh, I think, hey, if I live to be 100, then, you know, after this day ticks by, that's one less day. Mm-hmm. What did I do with this day? Yeah. You know, did I take the safe route or did I take the meaningful route? Mm-hmm. Did I make contributions to people? How much time did I kill on social media? Just all of those type yeah. of things. I'm permanently deleting my Facebook on November the 29th. Are you? I'm very excited. Say goodbye. I'm very excited. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what. All this year, I've done things like deactivated it for like a week mm-hmm. at a time. Well, on August the 8th, I deactivated it for a week, except it turned into 10 weeks. It turned into 70 days. Then I thought, hey, there's a few things that I just want to say, you know, before I you know, say goodbye to this this site that I don't like. I don't like this site. I don't yeah. like the censorship of the whole thing. I think that they've got way too much power. I'm, I'm a big fan of antitrust. I'm a pretty free market capitalistic guy. I am too. And teaching economics, though, has taught me that monopolies are fundamentally anti-capitalistic. If we could break up Standard Oil in 1911... And if we could, you know, break up various things, you know, from Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, and, you know, the original uh, captains of industry of the mm-hmm. 1890s, 1900s, then I don't see any problem with busting up Google, Facebook, um, and several other ones. Right. You know, I just, I think, hey, what's the big deal? You know, yeah. so you bust them up. So then that just gives room for more competition. 
if you have a monopoly, their number one goal is usually to eliminate the competition because what they want to have is zero competition. But I'm in favor of free market competition, which Mm -hmm. means lots and lots and lots of small businesses Mm -hmm. proliferating and flourishing all over the place, Mm -hmm. you know. So that's, I I have lots of reasons, and that's just one of mine. But but I found, gosh, if I'm away from this from about 70 days, what am I going to do with my time? And gosh, well, I I read 35 books over the summer, like I told you. I've done a lot of creative writing. Um, I'm trying to teach all the way up. I've tried to renew all of my classes. I'm lifting weights. I'm going running. You know, there's yeah. I have family. I have friends. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of things to do. Right. You know, versus yeah. this time suck hole. No, it's what it is. It you really know? is. And it's not the people on Facebook. It's the ownership of it that bothers me. Yeah. So that's uh, there's 2.9 billion people on Facebook, and... I have trouble with about five of them, and they are right. all at the top of the company. Right. Yeah. So I deactivated my Facebook years ago. Gosh, you're so good. Well, it but was, you're younger than me no, too. So was, like people in your age bracket look at Facebook and go, "That is so 20th century." No, it was. I mean, all my friends are still on it. Um, I was just. I noticed in college, I was spending hours just scrolling. Right. And I was like, I am addicted. Right. Um. So I got rid of it. I ran it. I'm. Still on Instagram, you know, it's probably the next thing that I, I only use right Instagram in. to follow people on the carnivore diet. Really? Yeah, I read this book called Digital Minimalism, which I'm going to highly recommend. And it's by a computer scientist. And he basically put forth the idea that if you have digital anything, you know, you need to practice minimalism, by which he means you need to have a reason to be honest. Like you don't download the new app just because it's nice to have. Mm-hmm. What are you going to use it for? Mm-hmm. And you should have activities and hobbies and people in the real world that you talk to instead. So he's not anti-social media at all. He said he knows lots of artists who will follow other artists on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there are people who say, I only follow family or I only follow, like, these, these 20 people who are my yeah. friends, that kind of thing. In other words, what's my purpose? Yeah. And then another philosophy he had was decide for yourself maybe a time limit boundary. Like, oh, I spend 10 minutes on it every day from 7 until 7.10, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Because, yeah. you know, some serious rules for yourself, Yeah, essentially. Mm-hmm. Because these things have been designed by PhDs to basically capture our attention. Yeah. We are the product. Absolutely. You know, I mean, if the service is free, then the customer is, the user is the, is the product right. for the advertiser. Right. So, and I just got tired of being somebody else's product. Yeah. So. I'm with you. Sorry, I totally got off on that. No, let's, you're fine. Let's pick another book. Okay. Um, what do we have time for? Maybe one more? Probably one more. Okay. Um, we can always do part two at, an, at a later date. Love that. Um, we could do, you pick. I don't care. If we okay. Do Jody Pagu, we yeah, let's do... do one of hers okay, because so... she's one of those. I think I know women really love her as so an author, I... and I, I've read like half of one of them, and I liked it. But then my life got super busy, and I never came back to it. So I, she was my favorite author in um, growing up. Um, okay, loved, loved, loved her books. Um, and then she came out. I honestly didn't even read it. My friends just knew that she was my favorite author, and so for a birthday a few years ago, they. Gave me one of her books. Okay. Pretty sure the book was all about an abortion clinic. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And um, ever since then, I haven't read one of her books again. Oh, no. But before that, it was not a pro-life book. Okay. It was, it was a pro-choice book. Um, but before that, I loved, and I still do. I'm not going to say that I don't love the storyteller anymore by her, and I, it's not that I don't love... Um, the other one on there was Leaving Time. Um, those are great. I mean, fantastic books. I Yeah, let's talk about one yeah, of those then. So The Storyteller is... With um, just a brief note that when authors club people over the head with a particular point of view, they risk alienating somewhere really between do. 10 and 95% of their audience. Yep. And that and, and that And literature, you know, should be yeah. about stories, plot, and character yeah. first. If you don't have literary values... You don't have Jack. Right. You know, and what you've it, got is you've got a theme, and then you're clubbing people over the head with a theme. Right. Um, so so let's get back to plot and character. Yeah. So this one, um, and for some reason, I am, I'm always drawn to stories, and it goes back to that virtue, right? Or um, courage. About courage, right? Okay. And 
I'm always drawn to stories about survivors of the Holocaust. Oh, yeah. Um, which sounds like, why would anyone want to read about that? No, no, Again, everybody. I, I teach think... a class in World War II, and yeah. I have come to the conclusion that World War II is the human race's fa- second favorite topic to discuss. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's I'm my. That's just my it. opinion. Um, we Were the Lucky Ones is another one on there. Okay. That's, um, that's based on a true story. Definitely recommend that book. Um, it's all about her family members. It's amazing. Um, wow. But the storyteller, again, is about survivor of, of the Holocaust. Um, and it takes the, the main character as this little girl. Okay. And, like, watches her story throughout it. And it also has um, this man who, Jody Picoult, or Picoult, oh, sorry, I say her name wrong. Um, she loves to embed multiple stories within her main story. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I like so that. So it has... Layered. Yeah, it's very layered. So she has um, her, like, the main story of the young girl who's the survivor of the Holocaust, and then she actually has a former Nazi who is now living in America, who's an old man who's trying to, like, cope with what, everything that had happened in his life. Oh, he feels bad about it oh, now. Oh, yes. No, okay. like, wants to thinks he doesn't deserve to live here wants to commit suicide like it's like just this layered story of seeing both Mm. um and she she does a phenomenal job with it and like the connections that she actually displays between the girl from history and then the old the old man the nazi um and the relationships that they actually come to have like how the two characters are related later did did they meet back in the war mm -hmm. okay and then he actually finds the young girl's granddaughter okay asks the young girl's granddaughter like he developed like they start to have like a grandfather granddaughter relationship you know he's an older man so i mean okay so when he was a nazi was he one of the worst nazis no he was one who like tried to help her okay even back in the day Mm -hmm. okay um but so was was he kind of like a a quiet rebel in the system yeah okay but yeah did what he probably could okay Um, knew that it was terrible what was happening, but like didn't come out right away and say it. Right? Um, wasn't wasn't right? Right? Miller. Not super courageous. Yeah, no, right. About um, it didn't. You know, I guess they used to call those back in the twentieth century, like in the eighties and the nineties. They used to call those people the good Germans, and it was meant sarcastically. Right. You know, it's like, oh hey, listen. You know, well, it's it's very important that we have social order and that we just obey and uh, that we all do things for the greater good. And we're just here to make society work. And, you know, really, I'm just a guy who works in a grocery store. I can't be held responsible for what's going on in our society. Um, Historians have been very, very hard on the good Germans. I suspect that in the years to come from today, historians will also be hard. Be very hard. People who are doing that today. I I think so, too. I think so, too. I think that there's all kinds of people who are lining up to oppress other people. I agree. Or they think... Um, doesn't affect me, so right. why care about it? Right, so I guess you got those different groups of people. You've got the, yeah, you've got the people who maybe they think they're doing the right thing. Then you've right. got other people who are absolutely not doing the right thing, and then you've got other people who are just hoping to duck out of the whole situation. Right. And then you have those uh, who are standing up. Yeah. And who are, they are going against the grain. Like yeah. Arthur Miller did. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, oh. I'm glad that you brought up Arthur Miller just one last time because there was also an author at the time who wrote a book called Darkness at Noon. And Darkness at Noon was about the Soviet show trials. And the show trials were, hey, everybody's guilty 100% of the time. That's why they were called show trials because in Stalin's world, innocent people were guilty and guilty people were guilty and off to the gulag with everybody. Well, this book was very powerful and it's still in print today. They were going to make it into a movie, but actually, and this just shows you how complicated things can get and how messy things can get, one of the Hollywood 10, an author named Dalton Trumbo, actually suppressed Darkness at Noon because he was a very, very left-wing person, which, they, hey, that's absolutely fine, except he felt like this book puts communism in a bad light, which is absolutely not fine, you know, that he right. is out there censoring and suppressing. Right. So, I mean, he's crushing darkness at noon because he doesn't want that to be a movie because he knows that if a million people read the book, 50 million people will see the movie. Oh, right. And then they will know what's going on. Well, and that's why it goes back to why this unit was the most important unit I think that I'll ever teach. Yes. Um, It 
my kids didn't, they couldn't explain to me in the beginning of this unit what capitalism was. Okay. They couldn't explain to me in the beginning of this unit what communism was. Are they 15? No, I teach juniors. 16, so 17. 16, 17. Okay. Um, and again, I'm no historian. I, I, I'm but, but people, what I know. But people need to know. No, my, and, and the differences are actually very simple to explain. Well, it's also very important that they have knowledge oh, for before sure. they vote. Leave. Before they, and they vote, and, and, they and you know, not even college. not even votes, but like just as you live in society. Well, it's all it just you, you yeah. make like five hundred decisions every week, right? Well, last year when I taught this unit, I didn't spend as much time talking about why was the Red Scare a thing. Yes, like why was how did McCarthyism make ground with this right. movement? Like, why do people my, care? And my yeah, I didn't I didn't hone in on that as much last year, and my kids didn't. They didn't get it. And I'm like, no, the Red Scare happened because communism is a thing to be afraid of. That's right. It, it wasn't That's out right. of the blue that That's right. we, we just made up that this is happening. He's He and makes my arguments badly. Right. <laughs> is what he, he does. Um, And it's, it's also very, very important that I talk with my kids that, you know, human nature, humans don't just get better because time has passed. That's right. Um, and my kids, I've overheard them make comments, oh, well, this would never happen today. They say the most trials would never happen today. Well, I don't think we'd be hanging people on the streets anymore. But what are we doing today? You see, that's, um, that's the thing. Humans don't get nicer over time. No, right? no. Um, and, and I try to tell them, okay, well, the 60s or the 50s, they thought the same thing. The Salem trials would never happen today. As they were locking up innocent people, and that's right. reputations. That's right. Again, um, and I, there's this quote, I'm going to try and find it, um, that I... I taught, I read to my kids, it really is, um, it just paints that picture so well, um, because I always like to, I always like to hone in on, like, why, why is this important? Um, yeah, I think that's it's, good. It's a quote from a Hungarian Jew from okay. the documentary, The Last Days. People wonder, how is it that we didn't do something? We didn't run away. We didn't hide. While things didn't happen at once, things happened very slowly. So each time a new law came out or a new restriction, we said, well, just another thing, it will blow over. When we had to wear the yellow star to be outside, we started to worry. And I tell my kids, I mean, they thought, you know, they thought the same thing. Right. Right, right, um, right. Right. It, it didn't happen overnight. No. And again, not a historian, but I know that it took years of propaganda um, infiltrating the education system, what they did with young Nazi groups, um, young Nazi camps for young men, right? Um, Hitler had a, a long, long plan, and he was there for the long road. I can't pronounce it, but the word in German is Gleitschaltung, and it basically is total transformation of society. And, you know, everything gets Nazified. I mean, your wedding, they are giving you a copy of Mein Kampf. They might give you a Bible. You're certainly going to get a copy of Mein Kampf. There might be a cross in the church, but there's definitely a swastika in the church. Mm -hmm. um, gosh, we've got the Hitler Youth, you know, for boys and for girls. Uh, the education system, they introduce racial science all over the place. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the beginning, um, the, the initial law was, hey, Jews can't be in the professions. Like, no more lawyers, doctors, mm -hmm. professors. We don't want you in these lofty positions. And then people said, well, okay, that's about 1% of the mm -hmm. Jews, maybe. So that's really not such a big deal, you know. Well, it's so the same thing and and then it's just it's not affecting me, right? It's just one thing at a time. I mean, first it's the upper crust, and then it's the middle class, and then it's the poor, and uh, gosh, then you know you can't even work as a construction worker. Uh, it just you can't do any job available. Well, this one goes along with that. It says first they came for the socialists, and yes. I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came out for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. And I read that one to my kids as well. I hope um, that hit people between the eyes. I hope that it did too, but sometimes when you teach teenagers. You right, 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 know. right, um, right. But my job is just to. Well, our job is help. to put it out there, and, and it's and also to kind of. Yes, and our job is to teach them how to think, it's not to teach them what to think. That's right. Um, and as an educator, I'm a very, very firm believer in this. Right, my me job too. is to teach you to think critically, it is not to teach you what to think. That's right. Um, That's right. Those people drove me nuts in college. I triple majored. Right. And it was very, very difficult in what certain professors said, if you didn't toe the party line, you were not going to make a good grade. 
And so I guess people have to ask themselves in those situations, let's say you're in a college class, do am I willing to get the C just because I'm going to speak my mind? Right. Or do I want the A because I need the A? You know, so well, it's a and really good I, I think moral people need to be there as well. Be, yeah, they need to be intentional mm-hmm. about what are you choosing and why are you choosing mm-hmm. it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, like, gosh, I love this whole conversation. I feel like it's centered in on the whole concept of courage. Yeah, absolutely. That that's really maybe one of the main reasons to literature, to do literature, mm-hmm. read literature is to encourage. I love that word encourage because mm-hmm. it means to put courage within somebody. Yeah. You know, like I could, I could encourage someone. I could cheer them up. But I'm also instilling courage, mm-hmm. hopefully. Right. Absolutely. So, and hopefully going to go out there and acquire a little bit more myself. Yeah. Thank you, Lucia. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Well, let's do a part two because we didn't even get to half of the other books. I know. I love it. Thank you. Bye. Bye.